Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, This is a content warning. Uh, The interview that you're about to hear contains themes of suicide that some listeners may find confronting. Uh, Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today's guest is a compulsive gambler who's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, I'd like to welcome Andrew to the show. Hi, Andrew. G'day, mate. How are you? Pretty good. Andrew, uh, we might start off if you'd like to tell us a bit about yourself and how long you've been in Gamblers Anonymous. Yeah, I'm 31. I've been in Gamblers Anonymous. I'm actually, this is the second time round. I've been in, I think it's about oh, four months, something like that at the moment. The last time was about 11 years ago, but stupidly I left thinking that everyone in Gamblers Anonymous was insane and that the program was stupid. Don't know whether that was me being naive or just too young to understand what the program was about. I think it was a bit of both. Plus, as they call it, it's a disease. So the disease wants you to keep going when it's not realistic, I guess you could call it. So, Yeah. Okay. Well, we usually sort of kick off talking about you know your life and growing up and things that influenced you. So do you want to give us sort of an insight into family life when you were young? It was funny. I, don't, I remember um, getting the email about the radio interview and talking about my childhood, and I'm like, oh, great, here we go. I didn't have the greatest childhood. I mean, I had a um, brother who was abusive and all that kind of stuff, and, yeah, that took up a lot of my life. Yeah, it was a bit of a challenge, I guess, but then as I got older, I don't know, there wasn't really – I didn't have really many hobbies or anything like that. So as I was getting older, I started gambling pretty young and that, so – yeah. What about growing up and friends? Were you able to make friends at school? Yeah, a few. I never had real. I, I never had many really close friends. Probably um, one of my best friends, who I'm still friends with today, she's pretty much my best mate. Well, no, she is my best mate. We always used to hang out together, and actually lived across the road from me. So, and we still hang out all the time, and that. We um, even painted a tennis court in the middle of the street, funnily enough, and used to play tennis in the middle of the street. You know, the things you do when you're kids. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Did you have any problems at school? Yeah, I was bullied. I was bullied a fair bit, especially at primary school, not so much high school, because I think at high school I got a bit more, um, I don't know, what you'd call it, sassy, I guess, and I learned how to sort of stick up for myself a little bit more. But funnily enough, at high school, I was that kid who tried to fit in too much as well. So, like, you know, I started doing the the cool things, smoking cigarettes and thinking that would make me fit in better and all that kind of crap, which obviously looking back at it, I know it doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny looking back, isn't it, the sort of things you do, the the mechanisms you you try to to fit in when you don't? Yeah. So did you have problems with friends in... Secondary school, or was it a bit easier? 
It was a bit easier, but still had problems. Still had problems fitting in. I got a lot more confident as I got into my more adult ages, but I wasn't very confident as a kid. So it's sort of hard to explain. I wouldn't, yeah. I could never relate to people, if that makes sense, I guess. And I never tried to. I sort of just was my own person. And even though I wouldn't say that's a bad thing, I'm still like that now, but people don't or kids don't accept that. Kids want to be, I guess, with people of their own sort of behaviours and all that kind of thing, I guess. So, Yeah. So did you get on with your parents? Well, it depends on which one you're talking about. I never really saw my dad. My dad was around a little bit, but they, mum and dad were divorced. So I, I can't even remember when dad left. I think I was like three, maybe four, something like that. But um, mum tried to be, but my brother got kicked out of home when I was nine. Well, mum, a lot of mum's attention went to him. So because even though he wasn't living with us, he was in foster care and in and out of um well, in and out of foster care and then also with other family members. It meant that a lot of mum's time was still devoted to him, but because he was outside the home, she was having to focus on a lot of the things outside of the home instead. So it meant that a lot of the attention wasn't on me, it was on him. So I didn't really get that one-on-one attention with my mum that much. Yeah. So did that mean you did things that your mum wasn't aware of? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So what sort of things did you get up to? Not not too much, but, yeah, definitely. So what was your introduction to gambling then? What sort of things? Directly to gambling, I was 18. I had my 18th birthday party at a pub, and one of my friends said to me, oh, here, have some money. He walked into the my, – my thing's pokies. Yeah. Went into the pokies. I put my money in. I hit the button a couple of times. I got these, um, I got the free games up and I like more than 10 times my money essentially. So I was like, oh, this is, this is exciting. Like this is straight up my alley. I could do this all night sort of thing from, from day one essentially. So that was the first time. And then a couple of times later, I went with my parents and had a very, very substantial win that time. And pretty much from then on, it's just been, yeah. On, and I've heard people say this before, you can gamble as long as you want. And if you never have a really big win, it might not get you. But as soon as you have that really big win, that it gives you that um, the rush of dopamine. And then all of a sudden it just catches you and you can never get out of it. Yeah. Apart from Gamblers Anonymous. <laughs> so was there anything that you did as a kid that sort of you think might have uh, led you towards gambling with, with computer games or um, pinball machines and things like that? Interestingly, I was talking to another person at GA about this a while back. I remember going to Time Zone with my dad when I was younger and they used to have these games there that you used to put 20 cent coins in and they were ticket games. You could only win tickets in it. And I actually remembered only a short while ago when I used to play these games, I recognise it now as sort of somewhat compulsive behaviour when I used to play them because I used to only play those games. And even now as an adult, if I go to one of those places, I still play those games now and I play them compulsively like I do with the pokies. Yeah. Chasing that big win, wanting the most coins or most tickets or whatever out of that as I possibly can. 
Okay, so what did the tickets buy you? Fancy balls, yo-yos, nothing really exciting. <laughs> Probably the best thing you could have gotten out of it is maybe a board game or a PlayStation or something, but never quite got up to that level. <laughs> so were they games of skill or just chance? Uh, mostly chance. Yep. <laughs> Setting you up for gambling, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> You said your dad took you there. So what was that for? Was that a special occasion or just typical things that you did? We used to catch up with them. Well, most of the time it was once a fortnight with dad and then he'd take us out on outings. Okay. So like sometimes they'd take us up to the city and we'd go to the sort of like a time zone thing at Crown. Yeah. At the big house, as we call it. Yeah, we used to go there occasionally and all that. Then sometimes dad would take us to like Forest Hill and... There's a time zone there. He used to take us to other places too, don't get me wrong. We used to go fishing as well. But Yeah. So was your dad a gambler? Uh, yes. <laughs> not, not not like I am. I don't think like I am. I, I'm not 100% sure, but he does gamble. Yeah. What does he gamble on? The horses or? No, nah, pokies. Pokies, okay. Were you ever left outside of pokies venue while he gambled? No. <laughs> You're too old, I suppose. I remember as a kid back in the day when you'd have like a family dinner or whatever and the whole family would go into the pokies and there would be one adult with us kids and all the parents would go in and play the pokies and all that kind of stuff. And I used to go, what the hell are they doing? Like, that that seems really boring. And then, yeah, 10 years later, (laughs) hell (laughs) damn. Strange about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so leaving school and stuff, did you go out to work? Yeah. I started working from a pretty young age. I used to work at a driving range, at a golf driving range, picking up golf balls by hand and used to get paid a little bit of money for doing that. So I'd always knew what it was like to earn money. And then um, I left school when I was 16. I hated school, like hated it with a passion. Just found it really boring. And I'm a sort of hands-on sort of person. I'd much rather be doing out there doing something like that than sitting in a classroom listening to someone ramble on about crap, basically. So I left school and then started working pretty much straight away. Of course, you know, inevitably I was in and out of jobs because I couldn't hold down anything because I had an attitude problem and, yeah, didn't want to cater to people's needs, I guess. It was all about me. Okay. Again, looking back at that, I reckon that's something to do with the gambling because I know I've noticed one of the biggest changes in me with not gambling is my attitude's changing and it's changing rapidly. My anger levels are so much lower and stuff like that. So, Okay. That's an interesting insight, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, of course. And pretty much from the get-go, gambling was my life. It took over straight away. Like, I, was, I think I was 18 and I was working at Macca's. And I used to leave Wednesday nights were my favourite gambling nights because I used to get paid on a Wednesday and I knew my pay would be in sort of five o'clock-ish. So I'd be on the bus heading back home and wouldn't go home. I'd go to the pub instead and I could be there from seven o'clock at night or six o'clock at night until midnight, two o'clock in the morning and I'd be stumbling home pissed as a nuke no money and had to go back to work the next day at seven o'clock in the morning. So 
I mean, that's that's not going to be good for anyone's mental health, I wouldn't think, but... <laughs> no. So a, a lot of gamblers really enjoy being on their own. So are you one of those sort of people? Not so much at the start. It's like going with friends. I used to try and bring friends along all the time. Even near the end, I liked it when my partner would come with me, but not anyone else so much. That's an interesting question. I haven't been asked that before and I haven't really put much thought into it, but so I know I used to hate it. Like It was one of my pet hates when I'd be sitting in a venue and I'd be trying to, what I would call, enjoy myself, enjoy my time, because when I was gambling, I was... I like to be in that zone. And I know if someone tried to ring me or text me, I'd get really angry. Yeah. I would start going off. I'd be like, oh, but for hell's sake, someone's ringing me. Oh, why are they ringing me for? Don't ring me when I'm here. And I'd hang up on them or, like, you know, not answer the call or whatever. And I'd get really frustrated at the fact that someone's ringing me. Like, why am I getting frustrated at the fact that someone's ringing me? It's someone wants to talk to you, man. Like, hey, you've got friends. Like... <laughs> yeah so you mentioned a relationship so did gambling initially impact relationships yeah definitely definitely probably my first or well, actually no but probably my first two serious relationships not so much the first one but the second one he was an alcoholic and he got into AA and he got into the program, got sober. I was still gambling. He had the fact that I was still gambling and then we ended up um, parting our ways. But especially it was the worst probably when we were both in action. So he justifies drinking because I was gambling. And I justified my gambling because he was drinking. And then it would make us drink and gamble even more and, was just a vicious circle, I guess. And then once he stopped, he found it, I guess, a little bit difficult because I was still gambling, but also sort of hard to explain. He hated the fact that I still gambled. So, yeah, he wanted to cut his losses and run away, I guess. So, and that's what happened. And then the relationship I'm in now, God bless him. I don't know how he's still around, but <laughs> he put up with it for a while, I guess. But yeah, it's, you know, like lending money off family and all that kind of thing. And I know that, that that side of the family looks down at me because of that. But they're all they're all happy that I'm not doing it anymore, I guess. So yeah, it's um Yeah. Definitely put a strain on all my relationships. Yeah. And it's not I don't think it's only that as well, Bill, actually. It's when you break it down and when you look at it, I used to play games on my tablet as well. So I work long hours. I work um I work in transport, and I'd I'd leave home. I come home, and all I'd do would be I'd sit there and play my slot games on my tablet all night, and I wasn't paying any attention to my partner. And I think that as well is a bit sort of um, it's kind of neglecting them a bit. Neglecting them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So they they miss out on that um that love and affection that they should be receiving from me, not rather than me showing my love and affection to some stupid bloody game on a tablet. Yeah. That I've blown heaps of money on. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break there and play a song and a few announcements. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is still to come. Don't believe me, won't not back. The more where that came from. 
And that first song was Take a Chance on Me by Liot, and it features the voice of Valerie. The song was courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Kafias are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafias, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafia to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online, or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Every Monday from 11am on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free show and how to contact us. Today I'm talking with Andrew, and we're talking about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so, Andrew, before you um, you mentioned that you actually had been in GA about 11, 11 years ago, so that must have been in your early 20s. So you, you kind of gambled for long before you sought help. So what was the, the trigger the first time to reach out to get help? There wasn't so much a childhood. There was a bit of a trigger. Like I've always known pretty much from pretty early on in my gambling that I've had a problem. I didn't realise how serious the problem was. I think a lot of the time or a lot of what that first session was was going to Gamblers Anonymous because my family wanted me to. My family wanted me to do something about it, was part of it. But also, like, obviously saying that I was having issues and not knowing how to get out of it as well. But the biggest thing was definitely the family side of it. So I was trying to impress people, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. So my family kept going, oh, you've got a problem, you've got a problem. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I've got a problem, whatever. Oh, you need to go to gamble. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll go to Gamblers Anonymous. I'll just, you know, do it to shut them up sort of thing. And I did it. I did give up for a while. I got time up a couple of times, but it wasn't... I Like, I realise now that the time that I got up then was not like it is now. So last time when I got, got time up, I wasn't normal thinking. It was still... There was still all that madness there. And this time it's not. It's dropping off. Every day it gets a little bit lower, sort of thing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. 
yeah, it's sort of like I call it sobriety, I guess, in one way. Yeah, well, it is a mental sobriety, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So what what did you think of GA the first time you went, being so young? I thought everyone was crazy. <laughs> oh, like all the higher power stuff and a day at a time and like some of the stories you hear as well, I guess. Like I know, you know, people stealing from their workplace and all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, good on you. Why would you do that? Oh, you know, like there's no way I'd ever do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, guess what? I've done half of it myself. <laughs> yeah, I think in, in the program, they, I think particularly AA, it's people say yet. Um, people say, I haven't done it. And the other people say yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. They talk about in GA, in, in, in any 12-step fellowship, addiction is a, is a progressive illness. It's, it always gets worse, never better, if you're living in the addiction. So that's my story to a T. I never got better. I got worse and worse and worse and worse every single time. Like, never improved, ever. <laughs> right. I went to gambling counselling. I went and saw psychologists. I went and did all that stuff and nothing helped. Only thing that's helped is Gamblers Anonymous, <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> did you come across the Gamblers Helpline? Did you ever go there? Yeah, I did. I had a really good counsellor there who helped me through other things other than the gambling stuff. I could never stop gambling through that, I don't think. Like Gamblers Anonymous taps in a different sort of but in a different part of my brain, I guess. Because you're hearing other people talking about what they've done, what their problem is, and then you can relate to them and all that kind of stuff. We're hearing a gambling counsellor. The ga- gambling counselling is more about reduction in your gambling, not abstaining from it. Yeah. I think for me, I need to abstain from it. I can't gamble on anything. It's, we've got a little yellow book in Gamblers Anonymous that we read from, and I use that book as my Bible. Like that book, I follow it to a T. Like, it tells me not to go in or near gambling establishments. I've had work meetings and stuff like that since I've been in the program where I've been invited out for free dinners and all that kind of stuff at a venue. And I've gone, no, I can't go. There's pokies there. And sorry, the program tells me I'm not allowed to go there. So I won't go there. Yeah. Where someone like Gamelist Help will go, oh, no, no, you can go there, but you just don't go into the pokies. You just got to stay away from them. And it's like, well, no, it's not as simple as that. I wish, yeah. Yeah. So how long did you hang around GA the first time? I reckon six months to a year, something like that. Okay. It wasn't a very long time. Yeah. What What were the people like? Did you identify with them? Uh, most of them, yeah. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I don't know. I, I think it's like, it goes back to what I said. I think I was too young and I wasn't ready. I hadn't done enough damage. I wasn't hurt enough that. I got what was going on and like if I could have foreseen what I was going to do without it, I would have stayed, I guess. But you think to yourself, well, I'm only young. I'm not like those people in those rooms. I'm not that crazy or whatever. And then you realise that, hang on, I am that crazy. (laughs) And yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a wake up, isn't it? So leaving GA, did you just stop going to the meetings? Or did you consciously decide to leave? No, I just stopped going. I just stopped going to the meetings and then thought to myself, I'll probably go back one day and never did. Mm. Kept gambling. (laughs) So what's it like then to 
return to gambling once you know that you're a problem gambler. Does that figure at all? No. No, I don't think so. I'd like, I mean, it's sort of like I've, like I've been saying, you know, like I've always known I'm a problem gambler. When I go into the venues and I sit there in front of, in front of a machine, all I can focus on is that machine or that, that thing that's going on right in front of me. So I've heard people in meetings even say it before, a semi-truck would go plowing through the venue. As long as your machine's still running, that's all you give a shit about. Yeah. It's pretty much like I'm in the zone sort of thing. So to me, that that makes me realise how much of a compulsive gambler I am. Or even little things like I've gone on the self-exclusion programs before and I still am on that, but like, you know, even driving to a venue, I'd be like a maniac. I'd be wanting to get there as fast as I possibly can and running through the traffic as fast as I can to get there, just to get get there as fast as I can to play and get it over and done with. And then on the way back, my driving was normal again. It's crazy, isn't it? That's when you think of it. Definitely. <laughs> so what's it like to blow all your money for a week in one night um devastating especially when you know you've got a couple of big bills coming up like you know if you need to pay rego or you've got a birthday coming up you want to buy something for someone or something like that or in my circumstance at the moment i'm a subcontractor for my job and i haven't paid my tax in four years so and i've got no money so it meant that yeah blowing all my money was just a stupid idea blowing any form of money that i couldn't afford but it's it. It's devastating. I, I, I haven't done that many times. For a long time, my partner's looked after my money. So I've been fortunate in that way where because my partner's been looking after my money, I haven't lost a whole paycheck many times. I still have, but still lost a lot of money, though. So how does it, how does it work then? At what point did your partner intervene to try and help you? Well, we had an agreement that if I wanted to gamble, that I would, and that he wasn't he wasn't allowed to stop me from doing it because it had to come from me. We had many many arguments about it, but there was a limitation on how much I could do. So I wouldn't say I get a crap wage every week. I get paid an okay amount of money because of the hours that I do. So I normally set myself a limit, a very high limit, but a limit nonetheless so that I, that we could still afford to do things. But it was done in such a way where it wouldn't completely take the roof off over our heads, I guess. Yeah. That was the way we had it structured. So, Okay. So how did you contain yourself to that to that limit or, or how many times a week you gambled? It was hard. So normally, normally I'd have, like, you know, say my set limit when I'd go to the machines. And then I'd go, especially if my partner came with me, there was times where I'd set my limit, uh, I'd hit that limit and I'd run out in you know, half an hour or whatever. And then all of a sudden me and him are sitting in the middle of a venue arguing about, I want more money and he's going, no, you're not getting it. And I'd be getting all angry and huffy and puffy going, oh, I just want more money, give me more effing money. And, oh, you know, you're just an asshole and... Just really nasty stuff. I was talking to um, somebody the other day, uh, oh, yeah, a drinker, who talking about a behaviour change. And you, you're sort of talking about a behaviour change. 
right. in moving from this rational person to somebody who's who's not very rational, it, it's a pretty difficult thing to try and control somebody who's acting irrationally. So how did it work? How did he stop you? You can ask him if you want. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, it's about you. <laughs> Look, he he was great, honestly. Not just because he's sitting right next to me now, but um, he was he just remained calm. I guess he didn't. Yeah, he didn't let my anger control him, and he just stayed calm and said, "Look, I'm not giving it to you." Basically, and then a couple of times he'd just walk out, and I'd end up having to follow him out because otherwise I'd just be standing in the venue looking like a dickhead, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> standing there on my own not doing anything, so, yeah, just follow him out. But the biggest thing was just the fact that he remained calm made it so much easier, though. So, yeah, I think if he got angry back, it would have just turned toxic and then it wouldn't have ended well. Yeah. I could have imagined the police being called, possibly, so. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is really important that partners of people with compulsive behaviour don't get too involved, but it's pretty hard not to get involved. Yeah. Because you try, you think you're trying to solve the solution, but by getting involved, you're actually making it worse. You're adding fuel to the fire in real time. Yeah, and I think he knew that as well because I had I had acknowledged that in myself and and spoken to him about that before. So I know when I've been out gambling, the worst thing someone can say to me is, "Oh, you're an idiot. Why don't you just stop?" Or even when I've just not gambled, but like when I've been gambling during the week or whatever, yeah. someone finds out you've just blown your heart. Oh, you're a fucking idiot, and you shouldn't do that, and blah 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 blah. Like that, that kind of behaviour from the other people just stirs you up even more, and you just don't need to hear that kind of that kind of thing when you're got a compulsive addiction because that sort of fuels the fire. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I've said that for, yeah, years because I've noticed that in myself. One of the questions, the um, that yellow book that I was talking about, one of the questions in that is um, do arguments, frustrations, I can't remember all the rest of it, bring out an urge in you to gamble? And that's one of the 20 questions that we have in GA and like that was a big yes for me and it's sort of, it's actually one of the questions, the only question in the 20 questions that you can change your answer to if that makes any sense so yeah because it's sort of arguments in me now don't do that so much anymore because i'm in the fellowship but back in the day oh yeah yeah didn't need much of a reason to but if you wanted to argue with me oh, oh yep i want to go and gamble <laughs> so you said your, your gambling took you to some pretty terrible places where you, you did things you didn't think you'd do so what were some of those sorts of things that you did to financial gambling? wouldn't say I ever stole off anyone. Wouldn't do, wouldn't, I didn't do anything like that, but I definitely thought about it. Like I thought about, you know, stealing money off people or stealing money from a company or something like that. I'd, I had a little bit of control over some finances in one company I worked for a long time ago. I thought about doing that there. Also, little things as well, just like selling things that I need or selling things that I like using and stuff like that, just to finance some gambling and all that. Taking out loans to gamble. Actually, sorry, there's one other one. I um, When I say I, I haven't stolen, I kind of have in one way, I guess, because I took out a loan that I knew I couldn't repay 
sussed so I could go and have a bit of a, a swing on the pokies. And obviously, I never paid it back. So I guess that is kind of stealing in a roundabout way. So if you look at it in a bigger, in a much bigger way. Yeah. And that's uh, something that I wouldn't say I'd like to do again. I don't like loaning money in the best of times, but to finance my gambling, it was a bit of a different story. I would have done, sometimes I would have done anything. Yeah. So did you have credit cards to to gamble? I couldn't get them. Okay. My credit history was not bad that I couldn't get any loan. (laughs) That's probably a saviour, really. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) So what brought you to the point where you thought you should go back to GA? As I was saying earlier, I I work as a subcontractor and I haven't paid my tax for I think it's three or four years now. So there's a significant debt there with that because of my gambling. I couldn't I couldn't pay anything. Me and my partner went through a thing called my budget because we were we knew we were in financial trouble, and they break down everything for me and all that kind of stuff and said, you know, this is how much roughly you would owe in tax. This is how much you're spending. This is how much you're spending on your gambling. This is how much you're spending on everything else. And when I looked at that, it uh, kind of hit home a bit, I guess. The next day I was driving out in the country for work and I got really, really depressed and wanted to kill myself and felt like there was no other way out, I guess. So I rang, um, oh, what's it called? Suicide hotline, I think I called. And they were busy with calls, I guess, because of COVID. Everyone's struggling with their mental health at the moment. So I hung up and then I thought to myself, well, what else is there to do? So I thought about it for the rest of the day and thought, oh, maybe I need to get to a Gamblers Anonymous meeting. Came home that night, spoke to my partner about it, and we decided that I was. I went and gambled that night, of course, because that's what you do when you're a compulsive gambler. One last throw, yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then went to go to a meeting the Thursday, but again, because of COVID, the meetings were only just starting to reopen. So the meeting that I looked at, I thought it was open, but it wasn't. So I got really pissed off at that. So I went and gambled again. And then the following Monday, I went into a room that was open and yeah, haven't gambled since. So thankfully. Yeah, that's good. Uh, awesome. Well, we might take another short break there.
That song was Inside Your Heart, again by Leon, and again featuring the voice of Valerie. Uh, the music was courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a footnote bombs fly on the road. And I had like this fist with a carrot and carrots are my favorite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! 
Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Andrew and we're talking about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So Andrew, before the uh, break, we were talking about getting back to GA and the fact that I, I think it was the end of the last lockdown and meetings was just starting to open up. So what was it like walking back into your first GA meeting after 11 years? I actually don't remember too much about the first meeting, to be honest. I do remember seeing one of the people that were there, the first meeting I ever went to, and he still hadn't gambled. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy still hasn't gambled. He hadn't gambled for like 20-something years or something like that. And I'm like, holy moly, that's amazing. Like, oh, mate, and, and I remember him being one of the ones that were, had like this full-on story of like gambling on anything like who we used to say I'd, I'd bet you know money on two flies going up a wall sort of thing yeah. so I don't know pretty daunting in one way but then pretty good in another seeing him there because I know back when I first went he did support me a fair bit as well so yeah so w- what changed for you when you went back to the meeting before you thought they were all, they were all a bit dull and a bit loopy. <laughs> a bit loopy and, you know, you're, you're much better than them. So what was your feeling towards them this time? Did you sort of respect the fact that they had time up? Was that was that it? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a bit of the fact that they, they had more time up and all that, but also the fact that I'd been going harder at it. So I'd done a bit more damage and I was a bit more, I guess, smashed. Yeah. My mind was a bit more crushed and messy so I, I sort of was at a point where I knew I needed the help I didn't know where I could get it I, th- I thought that was or the basically GA was is the end of the road that's that's what's going to be the one thing that I have to tip my life into to stop yeah and so what what helped you the most getting back just hearing everyone's stories because you forget about it right so you know like 11 years out of the program 10 11 years out of the program you don't remember all the all the chaos and all that kind of stuff. You're only remembering what your story is, I guess. Yeah. And hearing it all again and then realising that, hang on a sec, you know, 10 years ago I hadn't done what that person just said or what that other person just said and then realising that, hang on, I have done those things now that it's been 11 years. Yeah. It makes you realise that, hang on, I am definitely a compulsive gambler. Like, you know, there's no question about it. I hadn't done those things. They warned me. They warned me. They did. 
10 years ago, they said, if you keep going, if you walk away from this program and you keep gambling, this is what will happen. And then realising that, hang on, this has happened now, then, hey. So an appreciation that you're just like them, really. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. And I know, like, I mean, I'm young, man. I'm 31 years old. I know that if I keep gambling, if I do it for another 10 years, I probably would be no relationship, living in a shack, possibly even a cardboard box on the side of the road or something like that, you know. Who knows what could happen? I might not even be alive. I might end up taking my own life if I continue doing those sort of behaviours. So, Yeah. So what what's it like not gambling after gambling for so long? Different. <laughs> Do you miss it? Absolutely. <laughs> Depends on the day as well, though. I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss it. I still think about it. It's an addiction, right? So there's a potential, I guess, that it's never going to disappear. It does get easier and it's it becomes, I guess, instead of a, being an unhealthy obsession, it just becomes an obsession. But it's one that I don't cater into anymore. So, like, even as fresh as last night, I actually had a dream about it last night. I still dream about it occasionally. It's not every night. And I wake up and you go, oh, crap, oh, what's just happened? Have I gambled? No, well, hang on, no, I haven't gambled because, you know, I'm in GA. Yeah, like, life's just so much better without it. But there is still that. I do miss it. I did enjoy it. I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed having a big win and getting that thrill out of the big win. But I don't enjoy it as much as I'm enjoying life now without it. And that's the biggest part. Yeah. So have you got a lot more free time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what what do you do with your free time? I play a lot of Pokemon Go, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And just being able to, I guess, a lot of my free time, I can sit there with my partner and watch movies and spend some time with him as well, rather than being absorbed into the world of gambling as well. And I think he respects that and enjoys that. Yeah. No, it's good to have together time. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a relationship. Yeah, well, exactly. And, like, I mean, if I'm sitting there playing playing the games, because, like I said, it's mine was pokies, but... It was also when I was at home as well. I used to play the games on my tablet all the time and that would take up a majority of my night, most nights and even on the weekend. So, you know, that's not constructive for my relationship. And I was spending a lot of money on those games too. (laughs) Is it right that you can't win on those games? That would be correct, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I spent a five-digit figure on those games during that first big lockdown that we did. In six months, I spent a five-digit figure on them. That's how bad I was. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible, isn't it? Yep. And there's, like you just said yourself, there's no return on it. So, no. That's money I'm never going to see again. So, yeah. Is it actually deemed gambling? Is it regulated that stuff, or is it just they just treat it as a as a game because you can't win? No, well, it's not. I wouldn't say it's regulated. It's there's no like there's no limit on well, there's sort of a limit on what you can bet, but you can bet millions of coins on them. They don't call it current. It's not exactly currency, so it doesn't say like nine million dollars or something like that. It's all coins based, but there's no limit. So you'd buy a package. I, we're not really allowed to talk about amounts in GA, but yeah. 
I'll, I will for this to reference how it works a little bit. Yeah. So one of the games I play is they're called a, it's called an emulation. So it's actually a copy of pokey games that you can go to the pokies and play. And I won't name the casino because I don't want people go, going and finding it. But yeah, to buy a hundred million coins on that was one hundred and fifty dollars, and you could quite easily blow a hundred million coins in a night easily. And I used to do that on a regular basis. I'd buy sometimes I'd buy six or seven packages a week. Yeah. So, but then like and 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 even then with those games. You could put the bet up to a hundred million coins a spin. Well, so essentially a hundred and fifty dollars a spin. Yeah. So, pretty wrong, really. But I'd love to, love to know how they're getting away with it. Yeah, I'll say. So, what's life like now for you? you know, working, family, all those sorts of things. Has it enabled you to sort of reconcile with your family? Somewhat. The family's very proud of me, I guess, because, you know, they all knew what my story was, especially like my mum and my stepdad. They hated the fact that I gambled and they were getting close to a point because of those games that I used to play. They were getting close to the point where they didn't want to come over and spend time with us anymore because even when they came over, I used to play them. Mm. And it used to really annoy them. I mean, it's much better now. I've got that time. I've got money. I think I'm a nicer person. I'm nowhere near as short-tempered as I used to be. I think much clearer. Even even like with the clearer thinking and stuff, I get a bit of road rage. I'm a bit of a road rager. Someone will cut me off and I'll, back in the day, you know, I'd be on the horn, hand out the window going, yelling, screaming. And now I don't even do that anymore because it's no point. Like I know there's no point in doing it because, you know, obviously they're just an idiot of a driver. But what's me yelling at them going to do? It's not going to change the way they drive. So just let go of it. Who cares? (laughs) So you've pretty much accepted that you're a gambler and you have a problem. Oh, 100%. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Like I said just before, you know, like I I haven't gambled for 142 days now, which is the longest time I've gone, I think, since my last round in GA. It's it's close to it, I think. I'm not 100% sure, though. But... The fact that I still dream about it, even though I haven't gambled for 142 days, that tells me I've got a big gambling problem. Even now, I still have that problem and that I need to keep going to the fellowship. Yeah. So has it changed the way that you, you know, interact at work and things? Is it Has it made you a better employee? Oh, definitely. When I used to play the pokies all the time, I wouldn't sleep as well. There were times where I would bring my, actually bring my tablet with me to work, yeah, just so I could collect my bonuses throughout the day. So I had more coins to play with when I got home. So that took up time, obviously, during the day. Probably the biggest thing is the attitude change. I'm not as angry as I used to be. So you know, something will happen at work that would normally send me off, and I'd crack the wobblies, and all of a sudden, you know, there's this nasty person coming out again where now it's sort of like the same sort of thing might happen and I'd just be like, okay, this is really annoying, but, you know, just get on with it, whatever. Yeah. There's no point talking about it. Yeah, I agree. And noticing that change is really important as well because you sort of, you can see yourself not doing it as much as you used to be able to sort of notice it happening. And it's funny, you know, like even even having people 
notice it in me. Like I've had um I've had friends say that they've noticed the difference. I've had a um a, a member from Gamble Anonymous. I spoke to a, a member the other day on the phone and I said to him, you know, life's still tough. You know, all these lockdowns that we're doing and all I'm doing is working and blah, 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 blah. But the best thing is I still haven't gambled. And he goes, yeah, I can tell. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? You can tell. And he goes, I can hear it in your voice. Your demeanor, your whole voice has changed. Your karma. You're not rushing through everything like you used to. And you're just a completely calm person to compared to what you used to be like. So right, even hearing that from a member who's only known you for not even six months is, is yeah, a pretty big deal, I guess. So, yeah. So one other question that um, if you'd known what you know now about gambling when you first went to GA, do you think you would have stopped? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Possibly. I don't know. I, th- I, don't, I actually don't think so. I've heard people say it before as well that you've got to hit a certain rock bottom before you realise and before it really hurts to the point where you want, where you're just desperate for help and that's what stops you from doing it. So I don't know. I sort of sit on the fence with that. I think maybe, but also I think maybe not because, yeah, I don't know if I'd done enough damage back then. Yeah, right. If anybody would like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Victoria on 03 96 6108 or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au for more information about meetings or phone contacts throughout Australia. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Andrew for sharing his gambling recovery story with us and talking about how being a member of Gamblers Anonymous has helped him. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Bill. I hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll hear another personal recovery experience. If this interview has raised issues for you and you need help, then you can call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 for assistance. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.